morning. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, book by book, chapter by chapter. This is Revelation chapter 8. And uh, this is, um, you know, I'd say like this is where things start to get really interesting. But I mean, the whole thing's been really, really interesting. Uh, but here you've got this turn here. And I, I think maybe this is maybe this is a fair way of putting it. This is the part where if you haven't decided that this is a scary book, this is where you might think it is a scary book. Uh, you get the the seven trumpets now finally introduced after the seven seals have been opened. And there's all this, you know, tale of like death and destruction and all the rest of this. And so this is where, you know, especially in times like this, you read this and you're like, oh, goodness, like, is this just, you know, talking about, you know, doom and gloom and really bad things. But the, the key here, I think, is if you put this back in the context here, um, all these things that, yeah, uh, sound scary. There's going to be a, a star blazing like a torch that falls from heaven and something that sounds like a volcano in the sea. And yeah, that sounds scary. But are these meant to be bad things for God's people? Or are they meant to be good things? Is seven, after all, a bad number or a good one? So you really got to put this stuff in context. And I think when you do, this is actually this is a part of the good news of Revelation. Um, this is when we're talking about vindication. That's our theme for this week in the church here, when God defeats our enemies so that we may be saved in Christ Jesus. Joining us today, we've got uh, returning here, a good friend and a pastor from Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Baltimore, Maryland. We've got Pastor Lucas Witt returning today to look at Revelation chapter 7. Good morning, brother. Good to have you back again. And I mean, yeah, don't you think that this is just one of these chapters where like, okay, it sounds scary, but like, there's actually a lot of good things in here. I mean, there's there's always good things, even as you look uh, amidst what <laughs> doesn't look so fortunate, right? We might be reminded of that right now. Um, and uh, although you might have scared me for a moment, I'm thinking Revelation 8. Are we on 7 or 8 today? Did I say 7? I think I said 8, but... Okay. But I said seven several times number, though, so because yeah. because there's because there's a seven, <laughs> because there's the seventh seal that's opened here, and then there's the seven trumpets. But no, this is this is chapter eight. All right, just just double checking there. So <laughs> that's right. There's a, there's a lot of sevens uh, throughout. But yeah, but um, we will want to talk a little bit more about chapter seven. Um, all all these things really do um, flow together. And like we were saying, you you really got to appreciate this stuff in context because, uh, and because here's the thing though, right? Here is our our. This is all going on as part of the seventh seal, right? So this is part of the sequence. Um, that began the, the sealing sequence or the, the opening of the seals, right? That started back in chapter six, right? So, I mean, like you can't like just forget uh, the last two chapters and just say like, oh, okay, well, here's a new thing, right? And I think that's one of the ways that people get this wrong, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the scroll was pulled out a while ago and uh, I just keep thinking of, of, you know, watching kids open Christmas presents, especially the young ones. <laughs> And you're thinking, oh, you know, wait till they get to the present inside. Here it comes. And, and they keep playing with the wrapping paper, um, you know, and they're just so focused on the wrapping paper. And it's so exciting. And they're just they're just sticking with with that. And they're just thinking, open the box, um, you know. And so I get that same feeling with this scroll um, is. But th this is such fun wrapping paper, you know, like the seals just one after another. Um, there's just so much to explore. So 
you can spend a lot of time here with the wrapping paper and and just think, oh yeah, and then then there's this this box, this scroll to open too. You know, that's even more fun. So, right, yeah, no, that's a, that's a, that's a great metaphor to talk about this metaphorical language. Um, so I guess I just got meta metaphorical, if I can say that out loud. <laughs> you can't for the host. Yeah. <laughs> but yes. Well, th so yeah, let's, let's make sure that we don't just play with the wrapping paper the whole time and let's actually get to the present. And, uh, it, it's another, one of these short little chapters. I am I'm actually grateful that whenever they decide to stick chapter numbers in revelation, that they, they made them kind of short. Cause you really do got to like, just take your time with this and have some uh, time to soak this in. But, um, you know, one, one of the, one of the things that, well, I'm not going to, let's just go ahead and turn to it. And then there's a, there's so many good things. There's so many good things. As we get started, brother, would you say a prayer for us and for everyone listening and for all our brothers and sisters all around the world out there? Yeah, let us pray. Heavenly Father, you give us so many good things as we uh, open up your scriptures, as we hear your word, uh, as we walk through our lives. Uh, we're reminded during this present time in our world um, that amidst all the things that look like uh, they are very, very bad, um, very, very undesirable, and, uh, and most of the time we'd say that, uh, that there is very good stuff that you have wrapped up and intertwined that is happening um, just as you display in your word. So open our minds, open our hearts, uh, open our mouths, open our ears uh, to receive what you would have us receive from your word this day in confidence and faith. Through your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. So let me go ahead, and I just want to read maybe the first four verses. And um, yeah, because I think I think I want to read these first four verses, and we, we got to ask the question then, okay, let's put the pieces together. This is the seventh seal. It fits with the six seals we've already read about. Um, it fits with the last, we were saying, the last two chapters. Um, and so I think let's just read these first four verses and make sure we're get we're putting these pieces together right because I think if we get that right here, everything that follows, um, well I think I think we'll also have a decent chance of getting right. But I think if you skip over these first four verses because you're like, oh, I want to read about the trumpets, I, I think that's just where everyone gets off on the wrong foot too often. So here's the first four verses of Revelation chapter eight. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel." Okay, so before everything seems to start getting crazy, right? Um, actually, uh, you've got prayer, you've got silence, right? So um, this is something like the the calm before the storm, right? But it, it's not just a calm. I mean, like this is, um, I mean, it's the seventh seal, right? We saw that this was what you know John was wanting to have happen, right? He was crying because there was no one who would open the seals. So, you know, the lamb opening the seventh seal and the archangels, I mean, these are all like good signs, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's great signs here. Well, we're, we're looking in God's throne room. I was struck by, I mean, as we go through this, it keeps on saying, you know, before God's throne, um, before God, all this is happening right, right in his presence here. Uh, so there's 
there's amazingly wonderful things you know happening here throughout um, everything. You have God's angels. I mean, up to uh, up to this point, you have a lot of singing. Um, you have things from our liturgy that we hear. You know, worthy is the Lamb, holy, holy, holy. Um, here you kind of have this uh, this sense of the tabernacle um, with with prayers and then uh, the incense and the altar. So I mean, when when you're reading this part, it really is a very comfortable setting. Um, I would say with how God describes uh, worship and His church, um, from the silence to the the uh, the prayers that come with that. Right. Well, and I, I want to talk a little bit more about this silence, but um, before before we get there, just like you were saying, you, know, you mentioned the tabernacle, and we talked about that last time. How the language, and this is really the thing that really strikes me. Back in chapter seven the language was the language of the tabernacle. You actually had that unique tabernacle word back in verse 15 of chapter 7. Uh, he who sits on the throne will shelter them, will tabernacle them with his presence, right? And then just uh, the language is this language of, or, and even the structure, right? Like the 12,000 from Judah and all the rest. It's the, it's the language of Joshua. It's the language of the people of God when they have come into the promised land, and they're following uh, the, the tabernacle around. They set it up at, like in Shiloh and Shechem. And, um, you know, it's Jesus, right, Joshua, is, is going to lead them into battle, and they're getting ready for it, right? And, and I think we just—we we can't lose sight of that. As you were saying, like the, the tabernacle imagery is still here. So, you know, when, when you have these prayers— like, what are they praying for, right? Remember, we had the 144,000 sealed. What are they praying for? These are the 144,000 who have been prepared for battle, and they're praying for it, and they're praying for it to happen, and they're praying for God to grant them success in it. So what comes next is is what the people of God are praying for. I mean, it's not the scary thing that they're praying would be avoided. Um, it's the thing that God is going to use to give them their inheritance. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, we shouldn't be surprised. Um, you know, I guess I've learned to call this the technology of, of God with the tabernacle. I mean, what he has his people very specifically make on his on our earth, um, you know, is very reflective of, of what you see in, in this divine realm and reflective of uh, of his nature, who he is, and, and how we worship. So, um, you know, when you're looking at the... Uh, you know the the prayers of the saints here with the incense. I mean the the priest would take what the coal from the uh, the altar and and bring it into the um, the incense or the altar with incense on it, and uh, you know that would ignite uh, the incense and and raise this uh, this smoke that you know, God frequently says just like sacrifices. That's a, a pleasing sensation to Him. Um, mm -hmm. And then you have the parallel of. Uh, well, we say it in, was it Psalm 141, you know, let my prayer raise before you as, as incense. Mm -hmm. um, and I used to think of that as, as uh, just kind of the direction of going up. Um, right. Okay, so the smoke rises up, it rises up. So, Lord, you know, I just want my prayers to rise up to you, to your ears. Uh -huh. uh, but when God talks about that language, he also talks about, you know, his, him accepting it, um, you know, mm -hmm. joyfulness in hearing his people. And uh, so it's not just rising up like incense that it that it gets to him, um, but also how how he receives it. You know, he he accepts, um, like he accepts the incense uh, and the smoke, 
uh, he accepts the prayers of the saints. Uh, he's hearing it, and the pleas that come. I like that battle analogy, um, like you have there. I didn't quite think of it that way. Um, but, you know, what, what people are asking for and, and his martyrs are asking for for his, um, you know, his, his reign and his justice <laughs> uh, right. with the martyrs um, to come, you know, yep. to react to, to say, you know, Lord, we want uh, what you're going to have come. You know, we want it to come. We want, we want uh, the justice of what we've been waiting for and, and, and right. um, you know, <laughs> the victim of, of the time, you could say, um, right. claiming your word and, and not getting the, uh, the response that we want uh, of righteousness. Right. Yeah. No. I mean, like, it really fits as, as you were describing with the priestly action in the in the temple or the tabernacle before it. Um, I mean, with everything that we've read in the Old Testament, like over all over Isaiah, right? This pattern of, hey, we're being oppressed, right? We're being oppressed by the Assyrians, by the Babylonians, right? Like, like, like whoever the group is. And yeah, when, when we're talking about you know praying that God would come, that that you know how's he described like you know uh, Yahweh of armies, right? Yahweh. This idea is, yeah, he's going to come with violence and armies and destruction, right? But it's because that's what we need to be freed from our enemies. We need to be rescued. We need to have God defeat them. And how does Revelation keep talking about the Lamb, right? The Lamb who conquers. And what we saw um, not long ago, uh, back in chapter 6, right? How did, how did that end at the end of chapter 6, right? Um, we had this description of the wrath of the lamb, right? That fun movie title. Uh, so, you know, so all this stuff is, is not a bad thing that's about to come when you, when you look at it. And um, something else that hit me when I was looking at this, it really is Joshua all over again. Uh, the list back in chapter 7, you know, people sometimes say, like, this list is so strange. Like, what, where else in Scripture does this list occur? Nowhere else. Well... That's not actually exactly right. When we look back at, at uh, and this is actually, if you have happen to have a map in your study Bibles, um, or you, like you pull one up on, on Wikipedia or something like that, though those maps are all a little, maybe a bit off, but they're mostly right. Um, and look at the map, right? Look at that list back in chapter 7. You're looking at, um, the first thing that happens is the eastern border, right? We talked about that, that that phrase, rising of the sun. It's kind of It's kind of a little bit of a, redundant phrase literally it's kind of like the sunrise of the sun but it's a technical term that means eastern border and so look at look at the map right judah reuben gad that's starting down the south going up and through gilead right that's a southern part of the eastern border of the promised land right and then you go asher naphtali manasseh well, that's coming down from the north. Asher's that northernmost tribe sweeping down through Naphtali into Manasseh, which is, which is in Bashan. We're talking specifically about East Manasseh. We talked about that a lot back in Joshua, right? So we've just described the eastern border going you know, up from Judah, Reuben, Gad, and then down, Gad, um, rather Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh. Then you got Simeon and Levi, who we know are scattered right throughout Israel, they're throughout, and they're kind of in the relatively middle of the list. That kind of makes sense. You got Issachar and Zebulun. Those are your tribes that are up there by like Mount Carmel, Sea of Galilee, kind of coming back down south now, down the western side of the Promised Land. Um, and then what do you have? You have Joseph. And that's not a weird way of talking, actually. I, in the end, I actually don't think it's meant to exclude Ephraim, because what did we see when we looked back in Joshua? You have the conversations about the people of Joseph, or even the tribe of Joseph, right? We're talking about West Manasseh and Ephraim all together. And then finally, down south of that, 
Benjamin. So it's a geographical list that describes the promised land. So, I mean, just there's so many signs that point to this as this is meant to be Joshua kind of round two all over again. This is God's people um, praying for God's success to give them success in battle, looking to the lamb who is going to lead them into battle to conquer. So what's about to happen dear Christians, don't be afraid of it because this is where God gives you your inheritance. Um, just, just don't, it's, it's going to sound scary, but hang on. It's not bad. So, so let's then in, in this context here, last thing then now the silence, this is, I think the next really big sign besides all the Joshua battle language, that what's about to come is a good thing. Um, I mean, you kind of mentioned the, the calm here. I was thinking about the silence at the beginning of creation. What do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, when you uh, you start off there and you have, you know, nothing but God, uh, who is you know, fine by himself and is trying person and yet, uh, you know, yet makes his creation. So um, amidst... Uh, uh, amidst the chaos, there's also you could say this this silence. Um, that's an interesting thought, AJ. So you definitely have these ties to, uh, I mean, in Revelation, making your full circle, right? Uh, yeah. From from silence to glory. Um, the same kind of thought here. Right. Yeah. No. And um, actually, if you do look at um, you know Brighton's Revelation commentary, he he can go into a little bit more detail there. But there are a lot of traditions that connect silence back to the very beginning, um, because what, what do you have in Genesis 1-1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and like, what's the description? The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, right? Like the abyss, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. You know, it's, it's this empty description. It's empty, it's dark, it's formless, and it's also silent because nothing has been said yet. The first thing to be said, and God said, let there be light. Now there's sound. Now there's stuff happening. Now there's order, right? Um, so the the idea that there's silence here and that we're about to have seven trumpets from the seven archangels, that's a good thing because that means God is about to start doing his creation stuff. So as scary as these things seem— um, I, I think that, that I think the way you got to take this is this is God doing the seven days of the new creation. He's creating a new creation now for us, for his people. And as you know, scary and crazy as, um, you know, the descriptions might seem to be, I mean, seven, that's the number of God doing his work. It's a good thing. Yeah, I'm also, man, I'd have to look back on this. I'm also thinking there was some kind of cultural connection. Um, a bit more Jesus here, but uh, uh, something with, with the bridegroom, they're waiting for the bridegroom. Um, they do that in really a mm. silent time. There's something really special about uh, about uh, the half hour type type talk here. Um, I can't mm. say much more than that, but it, it whets my appetite to, to look back and, and think about the connection there um, that I remember hearing somewhere. Uh, so maybe there's another little bit of um, fodder there. I've, I've learned that when, you know, when the, uh, the writers take time to get specific with their their numbers and things right. like that. It, it's you're you're suddenly going to um, you know it, it's shallow enough to understand, but it's deep enough to drown an elephant um, if you keep going <laughs> deeper. And uh, anytime that happens, um, it, it's something right. to ponder. But yeah, that creation for sure is. Uh, I mean, it's all over all over throughout scripture and the narrative. But um, yeah, I like right. how you put that. 
Yeah, no, I, I do think that uh, you're right, that there are like some connections to that idea of that kind of a half an hour that that would have happened probably in actually a number of contexts um, where it, it could have been the actual like literal uh, like half hour that would have been spent in some periods of vigil in the context of worship. But also, as you mentioned, like there were other kinds of vigils that were uh, that were used, like perhaps like in, in wedding ceremonies, even right, like when you know you have the the tale of the the virgins, right, who are up um, keeping vigil, right, late late at night, trying to you know not go to sleep, keep those lamps burning, right, and all the rest. So I, I do think there are like some like um, you know connections even to like the parables of our Lord and um, you know that kind of worship background. But so yeah, it's like all all these signs are like, hey guys, God's about to roll up his sleeves and do his work of creating salvation and creating a new world for us to inherit. Good stuff is about to happen. So without any further ado, uh, let's go ahead then and look at what these things are. So let's pick it up here at verse 5. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth, and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now, the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Okay, so uh, that's that's a lot of a lot of things going on here that. I mean, my goodness, right? You know, like a third uh, of everything getting burned up, um, hail, fire, and blood. You know, again, these are these are scary things. Um, and yet, if we look at the rest of Scripture here, maybe not all bad news. Um, we do. I, I, we probably have time very briefly. We got about two minutes before we got to take our break here. So very, very briefly here, we got a caller here, Larry, brother. Good morning. Good to hear from you again. You have a you have a question or a comment for for us real quick, quick before we got to get into our break. Quick comment. Go ahead. Go um, ahead. Referring to Sigmund Becker's "The Triumphant Song," he makes a point. But when Jesus said in the New Testament, "Double verily's verily verily," he's mm-hmm. saying me. Pay pay close attention. I have very something very important to speak of here. Mm-hmm. Sigmund Becker says public speakers know that a deliberately long pro- pause, the pregnant pause, grabs right. the attention, and that he goes on and he says the half hour of silence teaches us that the church should not treat these dangers lightly. War, famine, pestilence, and persecution can at their can at their worst rob us of physical life. False doctrine apostasy can deprive us of eternal salvation. That's my comment. Thank you, brother. Yeah, that that's that's very helpful, right? I mean, just um, it's kind of just intuitive, just on a human level, right? That like when you take a big pause, right? And that's certainly uh, something that that Pastor Witt and I are are accustomed to, right? You know, sometimes you use that deliberately in a sermon. You you just take a pause and. You know, it is a signal that what what's about to happen maybe is uh, very important or, or solemn. But anyway, brother, just uh, maybe just thirty seconds here. But yeah, just really briefly, just kind of introduce your your thought here, and we'll uh, continue it on after the break. Thought for which part? Sorry, AJ. Oh no, no, it's fine. Um, so just 
Well, actually, here I'll just kind of set you up for it, and then and then you can get going once we come back. But yeah, so we we just heard the you know, this this sensor right gets filled up right. It was for for prayer and smoke and incense, but then there's fire, uh, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and earthquake, and you got this hail, fire, and blood with the first trumpet. So scary things, but maybe good things for our salvation. This is what we're talking about here on Thy Strong Word, looking at the revelation given to St. John, the eighth chapter. Be right back. Hi, I'm Gary Duncan, the executive director of KFUO Radio. We are all impacted by the coronavirus pandemic. All of the KFUO staff is practicing social distancing by working from home offices and temporary home studios. Our promise to you is that we will continue to bring you the word of Christ in our programming and worship services, the clear message that we've been proclaiming since 1924. During this worldwide pandemic, we will continue to share the comfort of Scripture. God is our refuge and our strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. That's from Psalm 46, 1. Thank you for listening and supporting KFUO Radio. And rest assured that when you turn on the radio, click on our live stream, or download your favorite podcast, we will be here proclaiming Christ for you anytime, anywhere. KFUO.org. everybody to thy strong word i'm pastor aj espinosa we're looking at revelation chapter 8 today joined today by our guest pastor lucas witt pastor at emmanuel lutheran church in baltimore maryland if you have a question for us or a comment you know uh brother larry called in and had a good comment about that pregnant pause right there's a couple layers of meaning there i think uh, there's room for kind of an understanding all of them together if you have a question or a comment for us you can give us a call 1-800-730-2727 if you are listening live this is a little bit of a, a last chance for a bit because yes next week is holy week and uh, it'll be a different-looking Holy Week for a lot of us, uh, but it is Holy Week nonetheless. And so, actually, we got some special programming. We're going to look at some psalms, particularly some really special ones for Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and then actually the Monday uh, following Easter Sunday. So, uh, last time in a little bit to get some live questions in. If you do have any, if you're in St. Louis, three one four eight two one zero eight five zero. You can always, of course, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. And uh, I also want to just make sure to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you for underwriting the program. Their website, lhfmissions.org. A lot of good things on their website. Um, you know, I mentioned there's that story of coming to faith in the midst of a, an ICE detention center. Um, also, um, just, you know, it, it's so easy just to kind of look inward during these times and think about just what's going on in our own houses. But um, 
they have lots of really great stories, including one also about, um, you know, an LCMS missionary, the work that, um, you know, our missionaries have been up to in places like Kazakhstan, right, despite persecution. And uh, so anyways, really good stuff that they just put up on their website. Check that out, lhfmissions.org. All right, Lucas, we were looking at Revelation chapter 8. We just heard um, about the angel, uh, one of these, um, yeah, one of these angels here in the throne room of God who takes this censer and he fills it and he throws it on the earth. And then there's this first archangel um, who blows this trumpet and it's fire and hail in blood. So what's what's going on here? Yeah, this uh, this made me think about uh, the prayers of, of the saints going up, the prayers of the martyrs, um, how uh, they go up in the, in the incense and, and the angel who has this censer, which he will use to take the coal, um, he fills it with fire, and uh, and and you have this response from God um, to what you know the, the prayers are of of the martyrs, you know, this, or this battle prayer. Maybe as you would have said it before, I mean, mm-hmm. kind of Molotov prayer cocktail um, <laughs> that that the angel throws on the earth here, yeah. and. Uh, I love this world, you know, the, the peals of lightning, but uh, you, you have, you know, everybody's thunderstruck. You have yeah. you know, storms coming, um, and suddenly you get to the to the trumpets here. Uh, and, you know, with, with Larry going with the silence there, um, that was kind of yeah. a good illustration, because I was jumping back. <laughs> I think yeah. uh, you were going to go off the, the silence there, but um, as we look at what uh, the angels do here with the trumpets, um, and as we've yeah. done constantly, you've got to jump back into the Old Testament, um, yeah. to really get an understanding of, of, you know, what's going on here and, and what's being said here. Um, cause we're, you know, we're, we're filling full, um, right. what's been told in the old Testament, not, not replacing it. Uh, right. Yeah. Yes. No, very, very good. And I think that, you know, just as you were, in fact, I'm um, just saying that I'm reminded, you know, so just, you, you keep thinking about, uh, about the book of Joshua. I, I really do think that, uh, I didn't even realize just kind of how good it made sense to to read Joshua um, not long before this. But think about like the the fall of Jericho, right? I mean, like how did that work? There were <laughs> you had these you had these priests, um, right? Actually, it says there um, there were seven priests bearing the seven trumpets, right? Um, and there they are following the Ark of the Covenant, right? Which would have been like the the key centerpiece of the tabernacle, like we're talking about, right? And, and what's he say in verse 10 of chapter 6? You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Right? I mean, so there there we have it, right? There's like these, you know, these seven trumpets, but before those trumpets get going, right? Silence, a command to silence, right? Um, so, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, like, there, there really are just, I mean, immense connections to the Old Testament, both in terms of, like, creation um, stuff, and then this battle stuff. Um, and, and for me, uh, when when you look specifically about this, you know, hail and fire mixed with blood, because you're like, no, hang on a second. I'm pretty sure I don't remember hail and fire and blood, like, in Genesis 1 or pretty much anywhere in Joshua or something. <laughs> you know, you're like, hang on a second. Um, but, you know, what it does remind me of is uh, the Exodus, which when right. uh, you look at the way... Um, though there, there, to be fair, there is, if we actually recall, there is a description of hailstones um, falling and doing battle, in a, in a way of speaking, in actually Joshua 10, if we recall. But 
Um, if you if you go back to the Exodus, right, that's described in terms of God as a warrior fighting for his people's freedom, right? And so there there is God rescuing them and defeating um, the enemies of uh, their enemies who are the Egyptians, right? In in something that includes hail, and uh, you know you got to remember in that Hebrew context, you know fire. Um, in that context, it's kind of a description of uh, lightning, right? Um, so, I mean, this this actually does seem a lot like God's Old Testament way of of rescuing His people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, said I'm, <laughs> you just kind of blow me away with the Joshua connection. Um, at, you know, after the sun stands still, you know, that's when the hail falls. Um, yeah. But yeah, when I when I kind of go into these parts, especially, I mean, I'm I'm thinking Passover, uh, Exodus, things like that. So. You know, you look back and, you know, yeah, Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven. This is one I highlighted. And the Lord sent thunder and hail, um, which we always yep. talk about, but and fire ran down to the earth, too. Um, and that, that figurativeness of, of judgment, uh, along with you yep. know, lightning as well, um, I would say there, too. And then, you know, with, uh, with the hail that happened uh, in Egypt, um, you only had a portion of the people in Egypt who had hail fall on them. Um, that's how the language right. Is, is said there, right? The Israelites are spared. There's not hail falling around yep. them, um, but it's around the Egyptians. And here you kind of have that that same kind of overtone with, you know, a third of the earth. You know, a part of the earth um, was was impacted and ravaged by by this uh, plague of of hail and fire uh, and judgment. And uh, so when you talk about you know the, the hope for God's people, well, um, you know, there, <laughs> this isn't just a blanket everybody is feeling the judgment of God in this direct way. Right. Yeah, no, no, exactly, right? Like, and, and that's the thing. I think that we we, we kind of read the third the wrong way, right? Um, we, we look at third and we're like, oh my goodness, that is a crazy mortality rate, right? You know, because we're thinking about in terms of mortality rates and, you know, if anyone were to mention, you know, like something like 33%, we'd all just faint right there on the spot. Um, but that's not that's not the idea. It's that, Hey, look, God is doing this, but He's actually—it's not like He's just indiscriminately just destroying the earth here. Um, this is targeted. This is a, this is you know a precision attack on God's enemies. This is not falling on God's people, just like you were saying when you actually read um, what we have back there in in Exodus, or like you know back like we had in Joshua, right? I mean that that hailstorm that was the angel of the Lord, right, um, fighting for the people of Israel, um, to defeat their enemies. So, I mean, hail is, um, it, it really is, is another one of these good things here. So on this first, um, you know, you could say this first trumpet of the, the new creation, right? God creating this, this victory for his people, right? Already it's, you know, yeah, God is doing these things to spare his people and to save them. And I, again, I can't help but go through these really focused, you know, first of all, um, with the, you know, with going back in Egypt, and you look in the context there, you know, and, and these weren't just, uh, you know, see this trick of, of turning, you know, the Nile to blood um, and hail yeah. and such, but, I mean, th- this was, this was uh, God was in the ring with the Egyptian gods, right, the, the idolatry. Um, right. So I can't help but think about, you know, in, in God bringing judgment, um, you can think of it, in, I guess, in, in different terms and different uh uh, who's between the targets? But I, I think you know when God comes back to, with His judgment, you know it, it really is a charge against the you know the false gods, the idolatry um, of this world. And and I'm kind of pondering how that comes through in you know 
what God impacts with these trumpets. But that's one of those things that's in the back of my mind when I when I read these things, um, picking up the context of Exodus and what God was doing there when delivering his people, what he was, you know, giving judgment, who in, he was showing judgment to. Um, right. Like, you know, the false gods, <laughs> the things that we can that's chase right. in this world. And, uh, you know, guess what? They'll, they'll be stripped away by uh, fire and hail and blood and uh, all the different ways you can describe that. Well, you know, that's a really good point. And actually, you know, uh, it reminds me of a conversation that I was having recently. But, like, the word world, right, it um, it has it has some um, connections and some connotations that we, we actually are um, maybe getting a little bit unfamiliar with. But we, we have in one of our, uh, you know, kind of older kind of an older way of speaking in our liturgy it, it, you get to like the uh the end of i mean it, it happens in some of our doxologies that you, you could say um world without end right um and instead of you know um forever and ever you, you might say a world without end and in fact it's kind of like some of the ways that they that they speak still in certain liturgies like i'm thinking of like the orthodox liturgies um and, and you kind of say like you know um, you know, world without end, or, or, or maybe like if you're looking at, at the creed, for example, um, the life of the world to come, right? Um, you know, that, that word world, even though today you kind of think of it as meaning like either basically like kind of planet, uh, like planet Earth, or maybe like the universe, right? The, the kind of old sense of the word world, you know, like, um, you know, like where, where we got it from, like in like old English and all that. Um, it meant a lifetime or like an age or an era, right? And, and you got to think back into these old contexts. And this is what I was thinking about when you mentioned idolatry. Um, you know, it was connected to kings and gods, you know? I mean, like that, that's how you dated things. That, that's how you, know, you talked about like the first year of this king, right? Which he was king because a certain god favored him, right? So a certain god was also consequently reigning, uh, through that one king. And that's how these things were reckoned. And, um, and that's where we get our own calendar from, because we say, hey, look, King Jesus has been reigning. And so that's how we have, you know, we're in, we're in AD 2020 um, because of the God who's reigning through him. So as you're saying, you're know, talking about the creation of a new world, that, uh, you, you know, not necessarily like the planet blows up and uh, there's a new one, but we're talking about the judgment of idols. We're talking about dethroning the, the powers and principalities of darkness um, and the installation of the true power and authority, Jesus Christ. It's as much to do with uh, the destruction of idolatry and establishing a new age as anything else. That's what I was thinking about as you were just talking about that. Yeah, and I guess sticking with that you know, metaphor of God, God in the ring or, you know, God in a fight with the uh, with the idols or Egyptian gods in in Egypt. I mean, in the end, there is one left standing, right? right. There's, there's there's one champion. There's one ruler. Um, there's one left, and yeah. God makes it very clear that uh, <laughs> He is the one, and it's not by chance. Um, he's the one orchestrating it all. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, and it's it's very it's very apropos, right? Like one left standing. We we talked about that, like how in the last two chapters, um. You know, like you, you've got who it, it was. It's the, it, where was it? It was the end of chapter six. Um, for the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand, right? And how is the lamb described? Well, it looks like he's been slain, but he's standing, right? And so, I mean, like there is, there's very much, I believe, this this idea of, hey, look, the only one 
who was left standing is the one that you thought you'd killed, right, and done away with forever. Yeah, you did kill him, but you, you didn't get rid of him. Um, he's still standing despite that, right? So, I mean, yeah, I, I do think that there is um, very much this idea that even though this is sort of like end of the world talk, this is already still stuff that's that's kind of already inaugurated, that's already started just in Easter, right? That, you know, like with Easter, that was the beginning of the end of the world, right? Like the end of the the rule of darkness and the rule of the lamb. And, uh, and I, I think you get that too, a little bit, even with the imagery of like hail and fire, you know, just the kind of like hail and lightning kind of idea. Um, you know, it, it's that storm language. I mean, that takes us back to Genesis 1, um, one where it's just kind of described as a, a watery abyss, um, that idea of of uh, what you have in in the flood, right? That Noah survives through, right? So um, it, it it does sort of seem to like kind of take us back to that. That hey, look, there is there is only one who stands or hovers right over the creation, and things are always brought low before they are lifted to their highest. Whether that's uh, you know after a, a storm, um, looking out in the you know the crops, the field, they're they're still growing back. You know a forest fire, there's you know there's uh, even restoration after that. And you know Jesus Christ, the Lamb, right, uh, uh, bloodied and, and beat up. Um, you know, and it's after that that he you know raises to the to the throne by God, the right hand. That's right, exactly. So well, let's go ahead. I want to. We, we do need to get through like all, uh, I think we've got four trumpets today. So well, let's take a look here at the second trumpet. Cause I, I think this is one of these things where if you kind of read them all together, that it's easier to kind of make sense of each of the ones here. Um, so maybe we'll take one or two of these here. So here's picking it up then in verse eight, the second trumpet here, the second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Okay, so uh, this is um, this is this is pretty interesting here too. You know, um, a great mountain burning with fire. I think I mentioned it in the intro. It sounds like a volcano or something, right? Um, and, and of course, you think about some of the descriptions. Um, I don't know. I feel like there's like History Channel stuff on, like you know, like what, what happened to Atlantis and stuff, right? You talk about these like sea volcanoes it's a pretty scary idea right um but but the description i think of you know the sea becoming blood and um the sea creatures and the ships being destroyed i mean this th this again also feels very old testamenty what do you think yeah this is one that probably uh, has me grasping the the most um but uh you know obviously water becoming blood um you know is mm -hmm. brings you back to exodus there and and God showing his glory and bring judgment to others. Um, you know, you have a, a focus on, you know, if there's reliance on, you know, the living creatures, the sea or the ships or something like that. I think, uh, I think, was it Brighton's commentary that maybe mentioned the, the commerce going down at that point um, uh, as an idea there? Uh, you know, I was, I was kind of intrigued by the idea of this mountain or, or volcano and um, if there's any relation to kind of the Babylon language of, of uh, mountains from, from Jeremiah. Um, hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, no, I, I think, well, I, th I think the ESV actually does that. They have a little footnote for you on Great Mountain. There's a footnote that links to Jeremiah 51, 25, right? Behold, I am against you, O destroying mountain, declares the Lord, which destroys the whole earth. I mean, that, that that's kind of interesting there, because, I mean, there it's like, you know, the mountain is used to describe God's, like, enemy, right? Like, like uh, the one he is against. And here is his, like, an agent of God here um, doing the destruction, right, to, to save his people. So, I mean, like, it's, it's interesting how some of these, sometimes you get these, like, reversals. Um, what, what is interesting to me is I do think that, the, at least this is kind of how I end up seeing this, and you'll see it, we'll, we'll all kind of look at this in a second. But I do think there is something of a connection. It may be a little bit loose or free at times, uh, but where these are kind of like a new seven days of creation, you know, and so uh, I think that it'll be maybe clearer in the third and the fourth days um, or the third and the fourth trumpets. Uh, but if you look at this, you know, second trumpet here, uh, the, the connections to the sea, um, I, I mean, like, and, and it's not really focused on particularly just animal life, right? Because it's like even the ships, right? Um, but this idea of, you know, just uh, chaos in the waters, right? Um, I mean, that's, that's what, that's what God undid chaos in the waters uh, when you look at Genesis, right? Cause you know, back in Genesis, uh, chapter one, you know, what happened on the, the second day, right? Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let separate the waters from the waters, right? So he creates, um, order in the midst of all this, this kind of watery chaos, right? Um, but here it's like, it seems like this is all being undone and this is yeah this is watery watery chaos right this the sea becomes like blood um, which is reminiscent of course of the uh the the nile uh turning into blood uh but you know yeah it's it's just kind of watery chaos on all sides you know uh, turning into blood sea creatures dying ships being destroyed um it's sort of the opposite of day two isn't it yeah you're paying this uh as a a partial reversal Right, so God yeah. puts it all together in creation, but now you have you know this this part of of undoing um, from uh, you know the crops before the waters now and you know the, the next one you, you have that undoing theme as well, um, you know to spill the beans a little bit. Um, yeah, but yeah, so it's it's undoing and yet it's still you know a, a partial, um, very much in control, deliberate uh, right. process that God's doing here. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like it's like the flood, right? I mean, where it's like you, you have this undoing, right, of creation, but it's not just undoing because God's like, okay, forget about it, just you know, this one, just throw it in the bin, and we'll start over. But but no, it's a it's a it's a, as you were saying, a partial undoing, so that He can bring His remnant, like people, into a renewed and restored world, right? Because it is it is a new world in, in that in that old sense of the word world, right? It's a new age. When, when Noah gets off the ark, right? I mean, like there's there's new com there's new commands, right? There's like all the rest of it. Um, uh, let's let's go ahead though and and take a look at the next trumpet here. So number number three, starting in verse ten, the third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. So this is this is a this is this is pretty. This is interesting for like lots of reasons. Um, I do think that there's 
as I was kind of already saying, I think there's lots of creation connections though. Um, and that in a lot of ways, this to me connects to the third day of creation. But, um, before I, before I just go off on a rant here, um, what, what did you see when you were uh, reviewing this and taking a look here with this, uh, this wormwood star here? Yeah, I, I love how you're kind of giving me a, a bigger image to paint here with with the creation um, and Joshua here. Uh, I, I definitely took this with the uh, uh, Mara. I think quite a few commentaries um, probably do as well. Yeah. Uh, with you know the the water that was too bitter to drink. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. and they throw in a piece, you know, chunk of wood, and and that makes it uh, you know very very pleasing um, to to drink. Uh, in fact, even the word there isn't you know really so much. Uh, it, it, it we translate, I guess, to drink, but it's it's really you know, the root word there is is like you know you can't you can't bear it, you can't endure it, <laughs> um, mm. you can't stand against it. Uh, in the in the context there in uh, in the Hebrew, um, and so there's there's kind of this this sense here too where um, you know if God brings this 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 bitterness, um, this struggle, this sorrow, and uh, and people are not going to be able to to stand against um, you know when. When he brings it there, uh, and this when when bitterness comes, it's it's something right. that usually God gives to His people, and you're going back to Jeremiah and him lamenting and things like that mm-hmm. um, with that struggle. But so that's you know I probably took it the more the way many people do. So I I'm yeah. especially intrigued to hear about plugging this into creation as well. Well, I think I think the two are connected, right? Because you were just you know you're connecting the idea right for this kind of like destruction. Right. That like, okay, like visibly here, we have this image of destruction. But to your point, right, they always connected to the destruction and the dethroning of idols. Right. Like all, all these kinds of physical, visual descriptions have have a spiritual connection to them. I mean, I mean, they're I mean, they are symbolic. Um, I mean, like, I, I don't think that you're meant to read any of this. And to say, like, there's actually going to be a star that falls from heaven. Of course, that doesn't even, you know, from our modern perspective, it doesn't even make sense. Right, like if a star falls to Earth, that that means the Earth is getting, you know, uh, absorbed into a like like a black hole or something. Like that, that's not where we want to go, right? That, we're not supposed to be taking it that way. Um, you know, this is, this is visual language for spiritual realities, and so I do think the connection, right, is to day three. But like you were just saying, like, what are you supposed to kind of understand spiritually about that? And um, yeah, you you go back to the bitterness, right? Like we had that. Um, you know, the, the, the waters of Meribah that, that we read about um, back in Numbers, right? Um, it's, a, it's a spiritual bitterness. You know, the idea that, yeah, you can't bear this water. Well, it was really that they were saying, the people of Israel at the time, that they couldn't bear God and they couldn't bear the leaders that they um, had been given. So, I mean, there, there's the reversal here, right? It's like, well, you can't bear, you know, the leaders that I've chosen to give you, right? You can't bear, you know, my word, and so bear this, you know, and, and so it's not God being spiteful, but it's, it's the, it's the reversal in the face of stubborn refusal to repent. Um, so I, I think that the two go hand in hand that like the, the Genesis language is what, what makes you think of those other later scenes. Right. Um, and of course in, in Genesis, it's not just that on day three that the, that the seas, um, are given their uh, their form finally in their name, uh, but like on on day three also like the the land emerges and it becomes fertile, right? It produces uh, sweet things that bear fruit, right? Um, but here you've got wormwood, right? Now this is actually talking about a plant, 
right? Um, that makes a bitter tasting extract, right? So, uh, so there is this like reversal idea, um, but of course, just the ideas of fruit, uh, sweetness, all those things, spiritual connections throughout. Really quick here, uh, let me let me read the rest of the chapter here, and then just kind of make some some concluding comments here, you and I. Uh, so here's picking it up at verse twelve. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow." Okay, so, uh, you know, so verse 13 kind of just setting us up for uh, chapter 9, really. Um, but maybe let's just focus here on on verse 12, what we got with this uh, this fourth angel. This is, I think, the one where it kind of most obviously lines up with the days of creation, right? Because what happened on the fourth day, this is the stuff that I've been reviewing with my three-year-old lately, right? You know, like the sun, the moon, the stars, right? Um, but very, very interesting Um there are spiritual connections here as well. So just maybe just, you know, 30 seconds, one minute here, but just um, like a thought or two about what might be going on here for us to understand spiritually. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the spiritual and the physical are, are always connected, right? I mean, as much as we see, we, we maybe think the world, you know, 90% of the world is physical and then the 10% of spiritual um, impacts it. I, it's really the other way around, right? And like, you know, the spiritual is 90% um, with what God's doing and, and we're the 10% in the physical, how we, how we witness that. Um, so, I mean, I, here in the darkness, um, you know, you have that, that spiritual darkness, I think is something that people would think about, um, you know, with, with, with blindness here. Um, I might take a little, little leap here, maybe a bad time at the end to be uh, looking about how, how darkness is often felt. Um, and, mm. and maybe in a, a psychological sense, um, again, uh, with, with well, struggle. <laughs> right. Well, well, certainly the stars were meant to be a guide, right? And so we're talking about, you know, undoing the false guides and the blindness, right? Um, I mean, that's the idea back in Genesis, even. Thank you so much, brother. A lot to chew on, right? Thank you so much. God bless you and your people there in Baltimore. Looking forward to next time. Thanks, AJ. Everybody, everybody, Pastor Lucas Witt, Emmanuel, Baltimore, Maryland. Until next time, enjoy a happy Holy Week blessings. You've been Peace. listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.